2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
3: This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM,
2: WFAN,
0: New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Later on in the hour, we're going to talk with a local sports parenting dad whose son is going to be a very high draft choice in this week's upcoming Major League Baseball Free Agent Draft. And it's a story with a, an unusual personal twist for years truly, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward uh, to this interview. That's later on uh, in the hour. But first up, as you know, we've been talking uh, for the last few weeks about the long-awaited and imminent return to youth high school and travel sports after our kids are finally given the green light uh, by the the individual state governing bodies Uh, obviously we all can't wait it's been a long long time and now particularly as the weather is improving we and our kids boy we're ready to go Uh, but I have to ask you this you know our our amateur sports how are they going to change I mean once the green light is given will our kids just uh, move on and, and just pick up the pieces and play again as if nothing happened well my instincts tell me no there's going to be a number of new hurdles that we put in place and for starters I mean I think this is just a a a no-brainer every youngster will have to take some sort of antibody test and of course they will have to pass that test in order to be cleared to play particularly in the high school or, or the travel league level and not just for starters um, you know, I, I, it's pretty certain, I would think, that unless your kid has been cleared to play physically by a physician with a medical test uh, for COVID-19, unless they pass that, they're not going to be able to, uh, to go out and compete. But I also get the sense, from a legal perspective, that every kid and their parents will have to sign some sort of legal waiver that if they somehow contract the virus from playing sports— then they, they agree that they won't sue the school district or the travel team or the youth sports uh, organization uh, because of this. I mean, they, And the question I have for you this morning is, how will parents react to this? I mean, ask yourself, would you sign this kind of document on behalf of your kid? I mean, and are waivers like this, are they even legally enforceable? So because of the legal component, I've asked my good friend and longtime legal contributor to, uh, to WFAN and to the Sports Edge, Steve Callis, to, uh, to investigate the possibility of parents being asked to sign legal waivers on behalf of their athletes. And uh, Steve joins me this morning. Steve, how are you doing? As good as can be under the circumstances, Rick. Great to be with you as always. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, this has been an interesting time for sure. Uh, now, look, Steve, we all acknowledge that waivers, they're not being pushed yet. I mean, we're all waiting to see how all the rules and regulations are going to come down. We're still waiting for that. Now, obviously, we're into June. Uh, obviously, parents in particular are eager to get their kids out of their homes, their apartments, and get them back out to playing sports again. But, you know, they're just it just hasn't happened yet. And, again, we continue to wait for real specific guidelines and directions, but the legal aspect of this, I mean, I know for what you were telling me the other day, there's at least one uh, youth sports uh, organization, an association, that has put forth a legal waiver. Uh, can, can you sort of review at what that means and what, what is the whole concept of legal waivers? Is this, are these even work?
1: Well, they do work to an extent, and it's usually to protect the school district or the, you know, big powerful, rich, uh, even though they might be a 501c3 company. It's always to protect who would be the defendants. Uh, it's virtually never to protect your kid, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they've been around forever. Generally speaking, I think it's fair to say the general rule is you, you as the parent can sign a waiver that protects the entity, which, of course, you'd prefer not to do, uh, yeah. that protects the entity from ordinary negligence. But nobody can make you, you can sign a waiver that even says uh, the entity is protected from gross negligence. That's not enforceable as a general rule across the country. But ordinary negligence, um, which is, you know, the four elements, uh, do they have a duty of care to you? Yes, if you're playing on a high school team or you're playing on a travel team. Is there a breach? That's always the issue. What caused it? And then, of course, where their damages. The interesting thing about COVID, as you know, is it's not something you can see. It's not something that readily comes out. But now, at least the one waiver I've been able to get my hands on, which is a very tough deal, especially if you're not actually sending your kid to a travel team, for example, but it now has specific – in fact, it talks about – the risk for communicable diseases, including but not limited to COVID-19 or other medical conditions, disease, or maladies, and you acknowledge that risk. And then the next paragraph of the waiver I have, and I'll quote you now, and this is in all caps except for a few words in this sentence, Rick, and it's, quote, I, and I is either the kid who's playing or, more likely, the parent, frankly, sure. I knowingly and freely assume all such risks, both known and unknown, even if arising from the negligence of the releasees or others, and assume full responsibility for my participation. Now, that's very, very, very broad. I mean, they got lawyers to make it as broad as they could make it. Sure. Um, so when push comes to shove, though, and specifically, and look, I'm just thinking this through because there are no... As far as I know right now, there's still no CDC guidelines what we're going to do for football practice in August, for example, in high schools, for example, Mm -hmm. and... Um, without getting into politics, the CDC and the White House have been at loggerheads. You you probably know the almost funny thing now. It's sad, but almost funny, and that is the CDC came out with guidelines for states to reopen. The White House thought they were too strict. They pulled them, and then the CDC's watered down guidelines literally came out after, to open. Literally came out after forty eight states had opened. <laughs> <laughs> it's- so. good to get them after the fact, but that's a problem. So looking forward, frankly, um, and the thing I'll use, and I'm just coming up with these things because there's nowhere to go to find them, is let's say masks. Everybody says, right, you should wear a mask, you should socially distance, you should wash your hands, there should be sanitizer all around. Um, there is actually a class action against Walmart already that's been filed where an employee died and they're talking about these kinds of things weren't available at Walmart. So I'm just throwing this out now. So if you're in a football program, I don't think you're going to wear a mask during practice. I don't know. But if you have, like, uh, meetings, meetings in your indoor meeting room, and indoors versus outdoors, you know, is a problem. If you have meetings in your indoor meeting room and nobody wears a mask, that's more than just ordinary negligence to me, as opposed to having these things outside and having your kids wear a mask. I don't know where the dividing line is going to be between wearing a mask and not. You're familiar with the picture um, from the flu epidemic in 1918 where they showed Major League Baseball players, the batter, the catcher, and the umpire wearing a mask during a game. Um And I don't mean a catcher's mask or an umpire's mask, I mean in addition to. So the things I'm looking at now, which are things we know nothing about, is the CDC going to come out with a guideline? Whatever sport you play, you should always wear masks unless you're playing the sport, a a, a meeting, for example. Are you going to have to sit apart in the baseball dugout if you have full baseball? We don't know any of these things, Rick. So the reason for the waiver from the entity's point of view is frankly to protect them not you <laughs> pretty much everybody knows that and you have to take that into account because covid is not something you can see but if if i sent my kid to a travel team or a camp more importantly high school athlete at af- athletics I'd be very, very worried because this is not something you can see. This is a different kind of uh, virus, and we don't know if it's coming back. You've got hundreds of thousands of people protesting, whatever you think of that. I'm all for protest, but I'm worried about a pandemic in New York City, a spike, for example, because they're just getting to phase one. And in Westchester, as you know, they're getting to phase two. So we're still early in the process, and we really have no guidance right now.
0: Yeah, I you know, and we're talking this morning with uh, Steve Callis and we and Steve just presented a a very very solid overview of where we are. And then and Steve using terms like we don't know yet and there's no <laughs> big guidelines and nobody really knows what's happening next. And, in the, and it's all counterbalanced of course, Steve. And friends, we'll take your calls of course at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six, 337 6666 because if you're a sports parent, you're going to have to deal with these things at some point. And as I mentioned on the last week's show, if you're waiting for guidance, it's just not forthcoming yet. It may happen at the end of the month. It may happen sometime in July, but it hasn't happened yet, and nobody's really sort of giving or, or taking a stance because nobody really knows what is going to take place. But counterbalancing what Steve just mentioned about these potential potential legal waivers, uh, having the parents or the sign on behalf of their kids that you won't sue if your kid gets sick, uh, is the fact that. Yeah, parents say, but kids don't seem to be the prime target of this disease. It's mostly focused on the the elderly, uh, people with underlying uh, symptoms, this kind of stuff. So the kids seem to be not not immune to it, because we know there are lots of cases where kids have other kinds of diseases or other kinds of of, um, complications from COVID infections, but they don't seem to be the prime target. So. It's going to be like a judgment call, it seems, as to what parents want to do with their kids. When the, when the coaches say, hey, it's time to pick up the pieces and go back to work again. Let's go start practicing. Parent might say, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure this is what I want my kid to do because it just seems like it's still very vague and very nebulous. Steve, um, let me first go back to this old question about if, in fact, a school district or travel team uh, says, Okay, your kid's ready to play, your kid has passed an antibody test and passed the annual physical, fine, but we want you to sign this document that says you're not going to sue us if your kid gets sick or there's other complications from this communicable disease, and that's what it is. Um, it, it, those kind of things actually work? I mean, would that actually stand up on a court of law if a parent says, Yeah, I signed that because I want my kid to go play? But now that he or she is sick, now I'm going to go back and sue. Does that even work?
1: Well, again, it works up to a point. We have no COVID nineteen cases yet, not surprisingly. And you, you mean, know, you mean, I, I went back and look at. You mean the, uh,
0: you mean legal cases?
1: No legal cases, correct. I'm sorry. And <laughs> we go back. I even went back a hundred years to see if I could find something that arose out of the flu epidemic a hundred years ago, and frankly, couldn't really find that kind of case. A less litigious society, of course. Uh, World War One was going on, of course. There was a lot going on, um, but I think specifically with school districts and COVID-19, because that's really what we're most concerned with, you know, it's totally up to the parents, but you can take the summer off. Uh, Although, as you pointed out, you might want to play travel baseball if you're looking to go to college and you're 16, 17 years old. Um, You might want to take the summer off, but you're still going to face the same issue in September. And you make an excellent point about kids, and it doesn't seem to affect them as much, but I'm sure you know in New York we already have 250 cases of this new kind of covid something that affects kids and we don't know where that's going so i just think forward looking for late august for football september and on fall baseball soccer whatever your school plays these are going to rise up and again the most they'll protect is ordinary negligence but you know once something happens to your kid for example He doesn't wear a mask. The coaches don't require him to wear a mask. The school district said, "Eh, maybe you should, but it's optional or whatever. And then your kid gets the disease. You're going to come in and say, this is an incredible breach. This is gross negligence. You guys are wrong, wrong, wrong. And the school district's going to waive the waiver (laughs) and say, well, hold it now. Nobody told us we had to wear masks other than we're actually playing the game, which, by the way, sounds like a common sense approach to me. And Um, and that's going to be the fight in court. But again, it's only for ordinary negligence versus gross negligence. And, you know, again, there's a split in the defining those kinds of things.
0: But, and to your point, and we talked about the fact, and just mentioned a few minutes ago, Steve, we know that, that the kids, uh, teenagers, kids in their, I guess, early 20s, twi- kids in their, in their l- early 20s, you know, these are, these are not the prime target for this disease. Yep. And yet, just this past week, we heard that uh, not one but two football players at the University of Alabama. Yep. And these are guys, these are, you know, Division One top football players. You know they're in good shape, but they tested positive. Then there was a kid at uh, Oklahoma State football, a kid at Arkansas State. So these things are happening around the country, and who knows? These are guys who got tested. We don't know how many others have not been tested. So, yeah, it, it does affect – people in their teens and their 20s, uh, particularly top men, especially the top athletes are, are no different from the rest. So this, this is all sort of swirling around. It's just, it's just a very, gives one pause as to what's going on. And of course, we now know that, that the, the original projections of, uh, of, of victims, of COVID-19 was supposed to be around 100,000. Now they're talking about 140,000 deaths. Uh, You know, we know that the pandemic back in 1918 did not last three months. It lasted three years. Right. I mean, these are scary things. And I feel from the bottom of my heart for those kids who are in high school, who are watching their, their high school years, basically being sort of, you know, washed away because they can't play sports. This is terrible. But at the same time, there's got to be some balance here between between common sense and also trying to figure out, okay, let's make sure we're all on the same page and we all have the same interest at heart. That's why I just wonder if, if a school district says, well, we're going to have you or a, a travel team is going to say, got to sign this waiver because we don't want to get sued in case your kid gets sick. It's tough. Let me let me uh, let's take some calls on this. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's uh, let's go to our friend Ed Ward over in Jersey. Hey Ed, good morning.
1: Good morning Rick. How you doing? Good morning Steve. Good morning. Steve, I have a question for you. And I, being that you're an attorney, and I can ask this question. I'm running a a team prospect showcase. If it, if everything goes through, whether Governor Murphy allows us or. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the NCAA, also, and I, I, I feel I have to get a waiver form now. What are some things that I should have in there, so this way, if if something does happen because of COVID nineteen, I'm I'm not responsible per se. Well, again, I can specifically read you what uh, I referred to earlier because there aren't that many out there already, Ed, but you know you're getting right into it right now. We're all kind of in the same boat from a coming out of it, but we don't know anything from March or April or May because nothing literally nothing happened. Um, but, you know, they, they, the one that I have from a well-known based in Florida now, so they're already starting down there, would say things like, the risk to have contact with individuals who have been exposed to and or have been diagnosed with one or more communicable diseases, including COVID. Um, you're, you, the child or the parent of the child is accepting that risk that you might get it and you will not hold me liable, uh, even if I'm negligent. And again, that's where the battle is. So to protect yourself, and you're better off talking to a lawyer who specifically does these things, frankly. I'm not trying to give out legal advice over the phone or on the radio, but... Right, well, uh, I, I have one written up, but I just want to make sure if, if I needed to add any other things. In all yeah, you the might world. want to talk to a personal injury lawyer, frankly, which I don't do any of that stuff, but um, it is kind of a two-way thing, you know, and, and I'll just throw out to you what I threw out earlier, and that is it seems to me you're going to have to have these kids wearing masks, for example, at all time. You're going to have to have a lot of uh, hand sanitizer around. You're going to have to have the ability for these kids to go into a bathroom and wash their hands frequently. You're going to have to make sure that stuff is cleaned up all the time, uh, and these are very high standards for you to meet, But that's the best thing to not only protect yourself, frankly, Ed, but of
0: course to protect the kids, which I'm sure
1: is your main goal.
0: Ed, it's an interesting situation, and, uh, yeah, and as always, thank you for, uh, for the call. I, yeah, I think uh, Steve's point is, and advice is good to go and talk to a personal injury attorney to make sure this is as tight and as possibly can because, yeah, this is something you have to really seriously consider. Ed, Ed Ward, thank you for, uh, for your comments. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, North Massapequa on the island. Hey, Frank, uh, you're next up on the fan.
1: How are you guys? Good to hear. And I'm glad you guys are talking about this topic because it's been a a buzz topic around my colleagues. And uh, it's good to have an attorney on the phone. And regardless if you specialize in this or not, but you have a better handle on the law than, I say, 90% of people I've been talking about in my
2: office. So, (laughs) Um, Here's here's my question. Here's what the sticking point that I have is. When um,
1: somebody does come down with COVID, I mean, isn't it nearly impossible to trace where they got it from, regardless if they were on a sports team or not? I mean, isn't that really the sticking point of a legality? Is that where did it come from and how could you prove that you got it from playing whatever sport you were playing.
0: You know, Frank, well, I'm, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm glad you asked that question because, okay, so a coach goes through all these uh, precautions, like uh, Steve was just mentioning to, to Edward about, you're going to have sanitizer, you've got to be a mask, uh, social distancing, so on and so forth, but you don't know, there's no way in the world a coach is going to be, I don't know, if a kid goes home or where the kid goes uh, in, in the after hours, that, that uh, he or she might contract the virus. So is how does that work? How do, how do you even get around that problem? Yeah, and that's a, great, that's a great question, but that really
1: leads to one of the main defenses you will hear. If I send my kid to play on a travel team, he gets COVID, I sue them, they're going to go, well, wait a minute. Where have you been? Did you go to a protest? Did you bring your kid along? You're a 16- or 17-year-old who's really committed now? Um, and I think that is going to be a problem. The, anal- the analogy I'll give you, Rick, that has already happened in some of these CTE cases with the football players where yes. they can't, you know, they, they die and then you get the aut- autopsy and they had CTE. The defense has already been, and this has kind of been settled by the NFL in that class action, whatever you think of that settlement. But the defense was, well, hold it now. How do you know you got it playing in the NFL? Didn't you play Pop Warner 20 years earlier? Didn't you play in high school? Didn't you play four years of college football? You got to prove... And you do have to prove the causation that you got it from playing in the NFL. And that's what led, I think, to that whole class action being settled, because on an individual basis, how are you going to prove? So that's a very good point that's brought up, especially with something like COVID, where you really don't know. You know, people can be asymptomatic. The young guy goes home and, I don't know, infects his grandmother, for example.
0: I'm telling you, it's, it's... it's really really difficult. Uh Frank, that's a that's a real good question yes. and, and and thank you for your call this morning because yeah, I mean that's what's going to happen. It's very parallel as and, you said to what's and, and, with the, and the By the way, Rick,
1: that makes it all the more you should always consider whether to sign a waiver. Generally, we we generally sign waivers, you know, and you probably will be asked at your high school, I think. But um this makes it all the more difficult because at the end of the day, if, heaven forbid, it happens to your kid, you're the one who has the affirmative duty if you want a recovery to prove, you know, it was gross or reckless or whatever. And, as Frank just said, that you got it at the football field during football practice or whatever the sport may be. And, again, that's going to be a very big legal hill to climb.
0: Yeah, I and which makes me start to think now that okay, th- there might be this movement to say, and again, this is all we're just hypothetical at this point. N- nobody has said this is going to happen. Nobody has proclaimed Mo- moving forward this is going to take place. We're just assuming that in order to protect uh, entities like school districts from lawsuits, uh, like like travel teams, like youth organizations with sports, that they might say, okay, we're going to have to put this in place. Uh, even though the kid may have already passed the physical and has already tested, uh, for antibodies, we're still going to put this in place. But the fact is, as, as Steve and as Frank just pointed out, it may be that it's almost unenforceable anyhow, because you can't, there's so many ways to say, well, maybe he didn't get, the kid didn't get COVID at practice, but he might have gotten it at home or, right. you know, in a, going, uh, to the supermarket or going someplace else or just in school. Very, very weird. Let's, let's continue. Let's go to our friend, uh, Jack Smithlin over in Fairlawn. Hey, Jack, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts about all this. What, what do you think?
2: Well, um, just want to say hello, Steve. How are you?
1: Good, Jack. Uh, How are you?
2: I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, Rick, you know, we talked about this at one point, and you were talking about these, um, these signing of waivers and stuff like that. Well, years ago, I used to um, do a lot of my private hitting or coaching in the gymnasium of the school where I – Uh, taught for over 30 years and um later on in my in my career of of doing lessons there uh the new principal came in and wanted me to sign have all of my people sign a hold harmless act uh paper saying that they you know we will not hold them responsible but in my eyes and through my experience it means absolutely nothing um because you know, that doesn't mean that if you sign that I can't, you know, take a gun out and shoot you and get away with it because you said you couldn't sue me. So if I'm negligent no matter what, they could sue me. They could go against that, that that hold harmless act paper that they signed, waiver, saying that they wouldn't and it will go to court, you know, and the courts will decide. So, you know, like you said, there's so many things that are vague right now with with nobody Stepping up. One of the biggest problems I see with everything that's happening with this is that you get these committees together and all these different people that are trying to decide on what the rules will be and what their limitations will be all have different thoughts. So they can't come up with any ideas on what to do because nobody's willing to step forward and say, listen, this is what we're going to do. I mean, wearing masks, I mean, one of the biggest, the funniest things I always said is to Rick is that. You know, when baseball starts up, is a catcher going to wear a mask under his mask? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know these, these things are just so unbelievably. But talking about last week, I mentioned about a friend down in South Carolina whose kids are already – her son is already playing baseball. They've already had games. She said that people are sitting in the stands, shoulder to shoulder, no masks. I mean, she was – you know, she's a, she's a medical person, so she knew to stay away. But when I mentioned to her about, you know, why, she said, because it's peer pressure. I want my kids to be socializing. And I said to her, you know, at the expense of their health, because, like you said, this is a crazy, crazy virus, a disease, because you never know who has it. And one of the things is, like you were talking about, how can you prove that it happened at this practice and and you get sued because the kid, this, from what I gather and reading about it, you could have this virus for months. And then it show its ugly face months down the road. And you know what? It, it's such a crazy, crazy world right now with this going on. And then, you know, I mean, all, well, you know, and then, Jack, then all this.
0: Jack, go ahead. Yeah, I was just to jump in here. You mentioned about uh, South Carolina. And I was watching the yeah. news last night. South Carolina yeah. is one of the states that now is showing a serious surge, a serious uptick yep. in, in, uh, in COVID-19 cases. So, you know, also. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know it, it's just really it we're not done with this yet and everybody wants our kids to go back understandably we all want the kids to go back and compete as I mentioned before I feel so much for the kids in high school who are trying so desperately to get uh, recruited and maybe going to play in college or just to play in their high school teams and have their high school years but the fact is at what cost and and you got to balance this out and and um, yeah. yeah well I, I well. I, Tell you, it's, I tell Rick. it's it's very very tough and and uh we don't we just want to make sure and and jack, thank you as always for your thoughts and comments Steve, we just want to make sure that when the people who are involved in this the athletic administrators and and individual state uh you know governors whatever, they really have thought this through and come up with some real very very detailed guidelines because otherwise it's just going to repeat itself and as i mentioned last week on the show and the national federation of high schools already said yeah there's going to be uh, prepare yourself coaches for a, a repeat of uh, of uh, of infections come this fall so what? it's it's weird yeah I do think the big
1: problem this is personal opinion now. I really think nobody wants to be first, and i 'll even go to the four major sports you know basketball announced we 're going to start july thirty first that 's almost two months from now and I think nobody wants to be first. they want you to be first, and then i 'll watch you for three or four weeks because that 's when i 'll know if there are positives if there 's a spike, and then yeah, i 'll we'll learn no really because what Jack says is true you can 't go anywhere and really find specific guidelines and i always go back to the cdc because at least for decades they were the entity you would look to whether you knew it or not rick you might not know the cdc was putting out these guidelines you just heard from your i don't know local little league or whatever here's what we have to do so this is a brand new thing where we have a cdc maybe watered down and it's going to be hard we still don't know and it's you know the beginning of june already in 60 days we don't even know how the school is going to open up and everybody's going to come back to school certainly in the Northeast, we're more worried about that because of what happened to the Northeast, of course. And if you talk to people in the middle of the country, they're like, yeah, I don't even know anybody who got it. And so it's a it's a different mindset throughout the country. But Jack makes a good point. But I believe, personal opinion, that nobody wants to be first to say A B C D E, and then nobody wants to come back and be first because
0: we all want to see well what's going to happen. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. My my guest uh, is Steve Callis. Let's continue with our callers. Let's go to Oyster Bay. Mike has been standing by. Mike, good morning. You're on the fan.
3: Hey, how are you doing? Um, I'm in the medical profession out here in Long Island. We got hit pretty hard. It's really gotten
1: quiet now. So the two
3: questions are, number one, we, we de- definitely know it's a contagious disease. It's highly
2: contagious.
1: Yep.
3: So unless we have
2: a vaccine or it sort of disappears, people are going to get it. I mean, it's impossible not to get this disease. So my question is, unless there's a vaccine or it
3: suddenly disappears, which sometimes viruses do, um, I don't see how any waiver is going to protect the um, children and or the adults who are in contact with the children. So how are you going to insure these? How are these places going to get insured for this? Who, who would pay for um, it? Like, um, I don't know. It's not mal-whatever mal, um, uh, it is, a, a personal injury uh, insurance policy. I
2: wouldn't insure any team or anything for that. It would be impossible. You'd, well, be, Mike, you'd get sued by every player on the team.
0: That's, that's exactly where we're heading in the sense that, yeah, that's the concern. Like, okay, so if schools... Decide to open up, and, and kids are coming in. Those kids do, and, and they're interacting with each other. And even if they do pay some uh, some some heed to social distancing, but kids are kids. They're going to be around, you know, in in hallways. They're going to be in locker rooms. They'll be practicing sports. And if kids get sick or they spread the virus to their parents or grandparents, and there's a lawsuit, who who? I mean, how does this work? I mean, so the question is all it's all sort of interconnected. So if the if the school district says No, we're going to put a waiver out there. that You have to sign that you're not going to sue us. Well, that's what Steve's saying. it's, It's almost like impossible to enforce. It's not going to have any bearing in court because, you know, after all, there's so many ways that COVID can be spread. Steve, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what we're talking about here, right? No, Mike makes a good point, but I think that's going to be, frankly, the
1: argument between the school districts. All of whom are insured, right, Rick? But now, when they come back and for this new school year, we want something related to coverage if kids get COVID at our school. Well, you know what the insurance company is going to say? Well, yeah, we'll do that, but you're going to have to pay me double or triple or <laughs> yeah. quadruple, and that's in nobody's school budget right now. So that's I'm glad Mike pointed that out because that's just another side thing on top of everybody else. The school districts have insurance policies. They're the the insurance policy. The insurance company is usually the one who pe- plays. If I broke my knee because they didn't keep the field right, and I stepped in a hole where it's gross negligence to not have that hole filled. That's pretty simple, but when you get to this, as Mike said, it's, it's going to be around. We're not going to have a vaccine for a while, no matter what anybody says, certainly not in September, October, November, and then we might get a second wave. So I think that's more going to be a conversation. Maybe insurance companies will say, we can't charge you enough to put that in, so yeah. we're not putting that in. You're on your own. And then that leads to a whole other uh, group of problems.
0: Hey, Mike, good point. Thank you for your thoughts this morning, and, and, and Stephen. I just want to reset this because we just have a couple of minutes left uh, during this segment. But, yeah, first of all, again, I just want to make sure people understand that we're just talking about the hypothetical situation where a school district might come back and say, okay, we're going to have sports again, but we're going to have to have your kids sign a waiver that you are are not going to sue if your kid gets sick with COVID. Uh, It doesn't seem like that's even practical. You just mentioned the insurance companies. They're going to say, first of all, this is like un- uninsurable because it's so, it's so prevalent and there's no parameters to this. So there may not be any insurance companies. And if they did, you know, say, yeah, we'll cover you, the premiums are going to be sky high. There are concerns here. And and um, you know, I, I I guess, and we mentioned this the other day, and we've talked about this on the show. You mentioned about a kid, you know, going in, stepping in a hole in the field and 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 breaking an ankle. Okay, that's just a gross negligence. But this is sort of like assumption of the risk, but it's for an invisible, uh, highly contagious virus. I mean, assumption of the risk is how do you even gauge that? How does that even work? How how can parents say, yeah, okay, you tell it's safe, but really? Is it really safe? And as you mentioned before, there are are places out west, in the Midwest, entire towns have said, yeah, I've heard there's one case here, but nobody's gotten sick. But here, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Well, that's the actual problem, and
1: again, at the end of the day, and I'm sure the conclusion of this whole thing we're doing right now, Rick, is going to be it's up to you, the parent, to protect your kid, whether he's pitching in three leagues and he shouldn't pitch too much, or frankly now with something that, again, we can't see we may or may not be able to feel it once we get it if you're younger it's less likely we do have these cases in the northeast and now in about 16 states of this weird child inflammation thing that they say is kind of an offshoot of covid and that hasn't really been examined that well because it's a relative amount of small cases but it's spreading around the country now so it always comes back to you the parent to protect your kid I, I've told you I'm happy my kids, you know, I started listening to you when my kids are four or five, and now they're in their mid-20s. And I'm kind of thankful, frankly, they're out of the whole athletic travel team, play for your high school. Do you have to play for that soccer coach? Because if you don't play for him during the summer, then you're going to have trouble making the team. I yep. mean, these these are all practical considerations. At the end of the day, you, the parents, have to protect your children in whatever they're gonna do up to a certain age, obviously they can, you know, include themselves in the conversation as they get older. But, you know, personally and it's just a personal opinion, I'd have to err on the side of caution because again, we don't even have, as you've said, specific guidelines for sixty days from now. And as you also said, and and as your caller said, they're opening up in Florida already. They're doing it. We read the one waiver I was able to get; Uh, it's a strong waiver. But we don't even have one case yet to know how courts are going to rule on this. And as Mike pointed out, and others pointed out, the insurance aspect, the proof aspect: how do you prove your kid got COVID at the football camp or football (laughs) practice uh, (laughs) in August before school started? Assuming they're even going back to school, Rick. I think if you if you're going back to school, but everything's Going to be on your computer like it's been for the last few months. I don't even know if they're going to have sports.
0: Steve Callis, uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's good to hear your thoughts about this and to sort of map this whole thing out. And uh, obviously, we'll see what happens over the next uh, couple of months. Of course, we all want sports to come back, but we also want sports to come back for our kids, our athletes in a safe and secure way. Steve, thank you as always, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again down the road. Always a pleasure, Rick. Steve Callis, of course, a uh, sports parenting advocate and a, and a top attorney. He's got good things to talk about this, make us think. Okay, let me take a time out. When I return after the break, I'm going to be joined by by Ted Sabato. Ted is the father of Aaron Sabato the All-American slugging first baseman for the University of North Carolina, Tar Heels. And Aaron is destined to be a very high uh, draft choice this coming week in Major League Baseball's draft. So yeah, I, you want to stick around and listen to what Ted has to say about being a sports parenting to Dad.
2: Big Wolf! Sports Radio, 101.9 FM. 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 Sports Radio 66, WFAN. Yeah.
0: Just a reminder that at 9 o'clock this morning on this beautiful Sunday, uh, Mike Francesa will be along. And of course, you want to listen to what Mike has to say about the world of sports and what's happening, and of course, his thoughts on COVID 19 and, and what when the pro leagues will get back to business. And as always, I invite you to check out my website at askcoachwolf.com. We're taking your calls at 1 337 6666. But my next guest this morning, well, there's sort of a very special connection with Ted Sabato and myself and this goes back a few years when I was coaching at Mercy College and Ted Sabato was on my team I coached Ted and by all accounts he was well quite frankly he was one of the most consistent hitters I've ever worked with and you know with Ted it it made no difference who was pitching on the mound when when Teddy Teddy Ballgame, that's what we called him when he came to the plate I knew that it made no matter who was throwing, he was going to hit the ball hard, very hard, pretty much every at bat. He was just an extraordinarily hitting machine, and and he was just flat out a good, good, solid hitter. Now, fast forward to today, Ted Sabato's son, Aaron, is a 6'2", 230-pound right-handed power hitter for UNC. And like his father, Aaron hits rockets all over the ballpark, and he does so consistently and this coming week Aaron all American first baseman from Rye Brook uh, here in Westchester County he's going to be drafted the only question is how high he'll go in the draft a lot of experts are saying he'll be a first rounder and and Ted sabato joins me this morning Ted these are exciting times for you your wife Valerie and your family
3: yes Rick uh, thank you for having me this morning and uh, it's great to hear from you and yes we are very excited and uh, I just want to thank you and you've been uh, a big influence on my life. Those were, That was a special time and uh, I brought things you taught me and brought to me uh, learning the game and the adversities of the game into my little early baseball to my family and things I do every day and teaching my kids. So you had a big influence and I love playing for you, and you're a special person.
0: Well, Ted, that is very, very kind of you. And, I, you know, I, you know thinking about the days uh, at Mercy, you know, every coach looks at a, at a ball player and says, okay, how, how can I improve them? How can I tinker with their, for example, their batting stance or their approach to hitting or something? But in your case, and this was a rarity, I remember watching you hit and thinking, yeah, this, the best thing I do for this kid is not – tinker with him at all he knows what he's doing and you hit the ball as i said so well so hard so consistently i mean it was just uh, it was just fun to watch you go up there and and swing a bat and now of course we're looking about your son aaron who's gonna be i mean i watched him on tv last year when unc was playing and, and boy oh boy he just he just really punishes a baseball now yeah. i have to ask you i mean and i know look the rest of your family is athletic is athletic as well i mean your oldest son Ted, he's a top pitcher at Manhattan College. And even though he's just graduated, he's been given that extra year where he can come back and play next year as a grad student, correct?
3: Correct, yes. He's blessed with that opportunity,
0: yep. And then you have your daughter Gwen. She's going to play basketball in the fall at at, uh, East Stroudsburg in Pennsylvania, correct?
3: Yes, basketball is her game, and uh, she's a special person and athlete. Yes, I'm
0: blessed. I mean, this is this is pretty amazing that you have, you know, not one but three top athletes uh, all going on to play college sports. Now, let's get back to Aaron for a second. Yep. Uh, Ted and Aaron, uh, they both went to Brunswick School up in Greenwich, Connecticut. Gwen went to Masha School over in Dobbs Ferry. But tell me what's happening now. I mean, as as this is unusual times, obviously, because of the COVID-19, how, how has Aaron been Preparing? Has he practiced at all? Is 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 he home? Is he in Carolina? What's going on in the weeks leading up to the draft? What has he been doing uh, in terms of just preparing?
3: Yes, uh, yes. In, in these, you know, unprecedented times and you know, actually scary times with this pandemic and COVID. Um, unfortunately, all kids, you know, throughout the country, were an Aaron and ended abruptly and yep. he came home and. You know, there was some, you know, very sad for him. And, you know, and it's kind of like what we, what I apply to, like I said, lessons you taught me in this game and positiveness and the mentalness of the game. And we use even this to be through the positive. And, you know, a lot of home time now, and we spent time with the family. And thank God I had a, back when they were younger, about 10 years ago, I built a uh, batting cage in the backyard. And when I started digging it, my wife actually thought it was going to be a swimming pool, so I kept that <laughs> secret for, for a couple of days, you know, thinking, oh, we're going to get a pool. But then as the and saw more of a rectangular stain there, and the poles came up. She should have known that, no, I was getting a pool. It's going to be sports-oriented. So, oh,
0: God, that's funny. Well, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's – and so basically – well, put it this way. It's pretty clear that, that building the uh, the batting cage – was probably yeah. the best investment you ever made on behalf of your of your boys and and yes. honestly uh, let's be candid I mean you know Aaron is going to be drafted very high uh, my, my sources tell me that the uh, the Texas Rangers the Boston Red Sox among others are very keen on him and his power um, but he's you know when he gets drafted He's gonna be uh, getting a very sizable bonus check, um, so you yes. can tell your wife that maybe then she can you get a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But different. but I mean, what normally happens, of course, with a draft, it, it people are surprised. It isn't like that. It, it's it's when you're drafted, it, the teams want you to come right now. I mean, you you they call you up, they they sign you to the contract, and they say, okay, you're gonna come down to our spring training facility, and, and you're going to be uh, reassigned to a minor league team. This all happens in a matter of like 24 to 48 hours after the draft. They're not fooling around. They want to make this happen. But now yeah. there is no minor league baseball, of course. What what are you hearing? It, what will happen to Aaron? Will he just stay home? Uh, will he go to a spring training facility? What, what do you think is going to happen? No matter who drafts him, what's, what's going to take place?
3: Um, I think he's got definitely – couple options i'm i'm hoping and praying that you know he's blessed to have uh special advisors slash agents uh to excel sports and um bobby barad and casey close that have been unbelievable and, and are great people to guide him through this process the last few years you know since really a junior year in high school and uh or sophomore you know he was blessed to As a town and and the the advice. So I think with the draft, he's either, it's unprecedented times, you know, it's unfortunate to, you know, Major League Baseball and what's, you know, what's happening, there's no baseball, there's no, no, uh, sight, you know, they're not getting along with the negotiation. So with the draft, I'm hearing a couple scenarios is he's either possibly through Excel, maybe it could work out that if baseball works out some workout a regimen that he could go to a team right away and maybe be on, like, a top end of a roster where he would be able to be work out with the team. Uh-huh. That would be, that would be like, a home run. Or if it does fall through, uh, XL has, um, like, a facility where they work out at Tampa, so he'll be able to be with around some professional, you know, pro ball players, top guys, and, and have that, just see what it's like and just get right to it. Or worse scenario, third like he's doing now, which you know he's driven he he he's a competitive uh good soul, and he's he works hard at his craft and and that's what it takes, so he's working out every day he's hitting he's running he's has a flowing regimen he's doing you know he did have surgery this past uh late summer, and um he's you know which kind of again take it in a positive note doing like almost like a pitcher's routine, his shoulders and, uh, you know, working his scap. So he takes care of himself, and he's a hard worker. So no matter what entails, once he's, you know, if he's blessed with the opportunity to be uh, selected in the draft, uh, I'm very confident and proud of him that he will just work very hard no matter what because, you know, his dream has always been to play baseball, and uh, he's living out his dream.
0: We're talking with uh, Ted Sabato, uh, one of my former players when I was the head coach at Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry. Some years ago, his son Aaron is a star All-American at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and um, you just heard Ted talking about how Committed and dedicated, and how hard Aaron works, uh, and is hopefully uh, you know looking to get drafted at a very the first, second round, whatever he's going to go, but he's going to go very high uh, come this week. Uh, what kind of start did, did did Aaron have this year before the season got shut down? How was he doing?
3: Yeah, you know Aaron. Aaron, part of the adversity and and the makeup and the DNA that you can't see and teach. Aaron started off the season coming off. the the shoulder injury he sat out the fall he got a clearance the last maybe week of the fall uh two weeks came out played a world series little exhibition games that they had three games in one weekend so not playing after several months six months and uh you know Aaron expects you know things come easy so this game you know humbles you and uh makes you better And, and he had a little slow start uh because of that, whether you know I wasn't in his head, you know maybe the mental end, mm-hmm. um, some things rust comes in, and but his perseverance, his DNA, and the things you know like you taught me the mental end of the game, um, you know it's just a matter of time, trusting himself, and uh, you know taking a deep breath, slowing it down, and you know that's baseball, you know uh, and just just battling every at bat. So he had like about a two week, about a week and a half, two weeks, you know. Hey, baseball humbles you. Then things clicked, you know, he started getting the confidence, hitting the balls like he does all field, and, hey, I'm healthy, I'm going to be okay, uh, listen to what the doctors and, and his coaches and his body, and and then, like I said, you know, he amazes me to this day. I do things I've seen see him do on the field, and uh, he went on a tear, I think. he hit, <laughs> In seven games, he hit seven home runs.
0: Yeah, I mean
3: um, – <laughs> uh, Led the ACC at one point in home runs and was in the top five again. And that's kind of like his, his specialness. You know, that's who he is. You know, his makeup at the end of the day when, you know, it's not like how you start. You know, it's really where you finish and Dream rises to the top. And he's a special young man.
0: Ted, you know, and, and we're not talking about hitting home runs in Little League here. We're talking about hitting <laughs> home runs against top Division One programs, ACC stuff. And everybody knows Everybody knows about Aaron, uh, you know, in, in the college ranks. That And this is like the, the premier slugger in, in college baseball. And yet he's yeah. still hitting the, these moonshots and rockets, uh, you know, before the season came to a close. I got to ask you, at what age th- th- uh, did you know uh, that, you know, you said, gee, this this this, this kid's pretty good ball player. Yeah. This kid's got some real talent. He's got some real pop on his bat. What What age yeah. was that?
3: Well. I know it's going to sound crazy, but, you know, with your sons. You know, we all were dads, and I love baseball, and we're a very sports oriented family, and, you know, in our downtime, besides school's number one, of course. And I know you're right young. You know, it was blessed to have this, my son Teddy, who's a very, very good athlete, and Teddy, two years older. So when Aaron was like three years old, two years I had a bat in his hand. And, uh, you know, just throwing a whistle ball, I'm sitting and just say, like, kid he carried it around twenty four seven and just noticing the hand eye coordination no matter what I threw the ball here goes the wiffle ball I I'm like, you know, taking a double take and I'm like you know, so you can't see this. So right away I knew that this kid has eye hand coordination, very you know, blessed and uh, I just honed that skill and incorporated into having fun with my blessing my boys every day and, you know, every day of our life for until they went to college we uh we did somewhere there was a catch and after they did their school work because that was a little contract i did with them early on uh school was number one and uh you get good grades you know and then we played a lot of sports you know not just they were multi-sports Not baseball was their number one but uh we were in the yard or the park and i uh, just honed their their abilities and we had and then naturally my daughter when she was born had two brothers to chase and, and incorporated us three together and my wife was a very good athlete. And uh the early age, Aaron I knew with, with baseball, competing with his brother and you know, trying to help Teddy, like, you know, Teddy was a good athlete, but Aaron, when they play whistle games together, we make up games, you know, I couldn't no matter what I threw with the ball we go all places, you know, and he always had a knack to go the opposite field, which like you said, like you know, thank you for the compliment with me. I never tweaked this uh swing. He always was very quiet and uh I just let that kinda like mature through later years and uh kept it simple. And uh he always had the knack. Uh, to what? go to right like right field, so I was like, you know, this is a special, this is special stuff.
0: <laughs> and and uh, to my listeners, as you can tell, listening to Ted Sabato talking about his sons and and his daughter, you can just tell that Ted is a low key fellow. Uh, you know, wants his kids to enjoy the experience, and he's been blessed to have, as I said, not one but three outstanding athletes, and of course, Aaron. Is looking forward uh, this week to a, a crowning achievement, uh, you know, in terms of of being a high draft choice. But again, we know, and 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 Ted, I wish uh, we had more time to talk about this. But we know, of course, that there are sports parents out there all have the same dream to see their kid end up being a high a high pick in the draft. But in this case, it's going to happen for your son. It, it's it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful a uh, dream that's coming true, and I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled for you. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great week for you and your family.
3: Well, thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate that. It is. We're, we're very excited, very blessed, and, uh, you know, it's just doors have opened, and it's only the beginning. Like I said, it's just going to be an adventure, and I'm proud of Aaron, and I know uh, great things are going to come for
0: him. Yeah. Well, Ted, again, it's it's exciting, no question about it. And again, from a a personal perspective, um, yeah, I just wish I had the foresight 20 some odd years ago to have (laughs) said to you, hey, Ted, you know what? You're really good hitting. I got good news for you. In about 25 (laughs) years, (laughs) your son's going to inherit your ability to hit a baseball and hit it even farther or longer. And he's going to be a high draft choice. Hey, Ted, Ted, thank you so much for coming on. And obviously, we'll be curious to see what happens this week with Aaron. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. Thank you. That, again, is uh, Ted Sabato, former star baseball player at Mercy College. And his son, Aaron's going to be a high pick this week. Uh, Aaron, All-American out of University of North Carolina. That's going to do it for me in this edition of The Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Pete Hoffman. Please stick around for Mike Francesa. He is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on The Sports Edge.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,